0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Passing Times. Really excited for today's guest. She grew up playing for the Pandas Volleyball Club in Team Alberta and she's already represented Team Canada with our NEP program and our U19 national team and she's currently having a big year with the Alberta Pandas. Please welcome to the show, Ronnie Dixon. Ronnie, thanks for doing this.
1: Yes, no problem. Thanks for having me.
0: So it's so cool to see that you've already played for Team Canada at such a young age. I'm wondering, was volleyball always your sport or did you play anything else growing up before you really got into it?
1: Honestly, I played, like, a variety of sports growing up. Um, uh, My dad always wanted to put me into hockey at a young age, but uh, I wasn't really a big fan, so that kind of cut it short really quick. But I did grow up playing basketball, um, softball, badminton, just kind of everything. But, yeah, my dad really wanted me uh, to grow up being an athlete, so I think that really helped me funnel me into volleyball. My mom played in high school, so she kind of wanted me – to get into that um, but yeah I started playing volleyball around grade six so yeah
0: awesome and when you say they, they wanted you to be an athlete were you like the kid who would go from one activity to another like were you playing a few sports every season
1: Uh oh yeah no I was playing I was still playing basketball um when I was playing volleyball but I mean I stopped volleyball pre- or basketball pretty soon um, I stopped around grade eight just because I, I didn't really love it and I really wanted to focus on volleyball so I mean, I loved, I love playing all the sports. So, um, yeah, but I was definitely a very active kid. So
0: nice, nice. And was your school program pretty good or were you getting what you needed from volleyball at, at like the club level? Were you playing pretty serious? Cause I know in Edmonton, the, the seasons are split where in Ontario, we start club in September where I, I think you guys start in January, but your school season is actually pretty strong, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No. Um, in my high school years, I definitely had a very strong uh, high school program. So, I had an awesome coach, awesome teammates. I actually played with Lila Johnston, who plays on the Pandas with me now. Um, but yeah, we won city championships in my grade 11 year. Um, I didn't get the chance to play in grade 12, as I was, I was in uh, the next excellence, national excellence program. So, but yeah, honestly, high school uh, volleyball season was like an awesome experience for me. So, yeah.
0: And with your school season and then obviously playing for a club like Pandas, did you know that post-secondary was going to be a goal of yours, that national team was going to be a goal of yours? Like, Because there's been so many athletes come through that pathway. Was it pretty clear for you or what age did you realize that you could play at like a pretty high level?
1: I think it was kind of in junior high. Um, I remember going to a lot of Pandas games as a kid um, and just seeing like Corey White, Vanessa Jarman. I really looked up to those two. And I remember saying to my friend, we went to a game, and I said, I want to be there one day. And at that time, I didn't really know about the NCAA or anything. Um, But at that point, I realized, like, I really wanted to play post-secondary, just seeing those types of players just killing it on the court. Um, I really wanted to be like them as I got older. And I knew about Lori and her, that she was an amazing coach. So I kind of knew that was an option for me. It really didn't strike me that I could be a part of any Volleyball Canada program until I was a lot older, but yeah, that wasn't, I didn't really even think about that or knew about it. So yeah.
0: And, and I know your age class got interrupted by COVID and that really interrupted development, but I, I think one good thing that you were kind of lucky to be in a birth year for is the NEP program. So when did you first hear of it and, and how uh, maybe stressful was the application process? Cause there's gotta be hundreds of girls who apply for that every year.
1: Oh well, yeah, for sure. It was very stressful. I heard about it first in Grade 10 or 11, 10, I think. Um, one of my club teammates, Lydia Johnson, she actually made the team uh, as an underage. So she was there her grade 11 year. I actually had not heard about it before then. So I didn't get the chance to apply that year. I wish I would have, but um, just hearing her experience there and her experience with the coaches and her teammates, it just seemed like a very good development program. And since then, I, I wanted to be on that team so bad. And I applied. Uh, it, was, it was definitely a bit stressful, for sure. Um, I remember it took a long time for the emails to be sent out to everyone. So every single morning, I was checking my email and stuff. So that was definitely my number one goal, uh, was to be on that team. And I got the chance to play with um, some of my club teammates, Misha Hamid, Anya Fair, Lydia, I don't think I'm gonna say any more names, but uh yeah, no, it was great. So
0: and, and before we get into how amazing of a program that is, there is some like family stress that comes with it. Like, did you have to convince your parents that like in your grade 12 year you're gonna to move to a different province, you're gonna take school, probably online. Like there are some changes you have to do outside of volleyball. Were they in full support or was there any convincing you had to do there?
1: No, they were in full support of me. They really want me to become the best athlete I can be. Um, it definitely was hard. I'm, I'm an only child, so I'm very close with my parents. So it was extremely hard leaving my parents, but they did come and visit, which was nice. Um, but honestly, yeah, they kind of just let me go and were super happy for me, but it was definitely a lot leaving my parents and doing online school. Um, I am a very social person and I did really like school. So, but I mean, I had my, the help of my teammates and stuff, um, and everyone was kind of in the same boat. So everyone Kind of shared the same struggles as well so
0: and was giving up the high school season a bit of a challenge because you were so competitive or you knew that entering the national team pathway was just going to be best for your development and what you were thinking long term
1: i definitely think long term like I, it was 100 the right decision um and i'm so glad i made that decision but i mean looking back that was like kind of a would have been a normal high school season for me um just because there were some restrictions still in grade 11 high school but yeah that my grade 12 year if I would have stayed in high school um fans would have been allowed to watch and it was just I watched a couple of games online and it was just amazing and they were doing so well but I still think that I did make the right decision by uh entering the volleyball Canada pathway for sure so
0: And for for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with the NAP program that you were a part of uh, at the National Team Training Center there in Richmond, just take us through like a typical day. Would you do school in the morning and volleyball in the afternoon or was it flipped? Like what was like maybe a a standard week for you?
1: So kind of a standard day would have been we had practice in the morning. Um, It was about two hour, two hour practice, two and a half hours. And then afterwards, we'd have study hall and lunch. So that's when we would kind of get all of our school done. And then we would have lift in the afternoon. So yeah, that was led by our trainer, Cody. It was super intense, super great. Um, it definitely helped my development for strength, for sure. That was three times a week. And then two times a week, we would have a skill group in the morning. So all the middles would come for a skill group, and it would be around an hour and a half, an hour. And then we would have study hall and lunch. And then Uh, we'd have practice in the afternoon. So that was two times a week. And then the lifting days were three times a week. So it was definitely a very rigorous program, but it just helped me kind of gain an insight as to what varsity, like a varsity program would be like. So it definitely helped in my preparation for that, for sure.
0: Now, did you already have time management skills like this can be a pretty big challenge for somebody who just wants to focus on volleyball like with you doing the online school and obviously being like tired you mentioned the big strength phase and going through like that amount of training was that something you were pretty comfortable with or was that like a learning challenge for you to just kind of make sure you were getting everything done when it needed to get done
1: yeah it was definitely a challenge at the beginning uh my online it was really hard for me to do online school as a more of like an in-person learner Um, Because my program was kind of just doing everything by yourself. I didn't really necessarily have a teacher. It was just kind of do it on your own time. So, um, but that definitely helped me gain time management skills for sure. It was really hard in the beginning, but I ended up adjusting really well near the end. But again, it definitely helps me uh, gain more time management skills for university for sure. But it was definitely hard being tired all the time. I really didn't want to do school. So, Um, yeah, but it definitely helped me become a better student athlete. So,
0: and at that time, do you remember, had you already committed to play at, uh, the University of Alberta or were you still deciding when you entered that, that fall season of NEP?
1: I actually had committed to U of A extremely early. I committed, I verbally committed in grade 11, beginning of grade 11. Before that, I thought I would always want to go to the NCAA. I actually didn't talk to any Canadian schools. I was really, really set on the States. I kind of just wanted to move away, um, start a new experience, I guess, um, because I knew the NCAA was so strong. But I would always do like private lessons with some of the PANDAS coaches and Lori would always be there kind of watching me. And I remember one day she called my parents and asked to set up my meeting, And I was kind of getting excited because I was like, oh, like, is she going to offer me a spot? Maybe I'm not sure. So she called my parents and kind of alluded to the fact that she maybe was going to give me an offer. Um, So I kind of discussed with my parents because my parents did not want me to move away. Again, we're really close. So um, they really wanted me to stay home in Canada, even though they knew the NCAA would be a great experience. But we kind of discussed the options and I I took a few days, but I think I decided that if she were to offer me a spot, I would take it just because I'm, it was kind of just perfect. Like I was home with my parents. Um, Some of my club teammates I knew would probably end up going there, I guess. Um, And I knew she, like the team was historically very strong and Lori was such an amazing coach. So I kind of just decided like, if she does end up offering me a spot, I'm going to take it. And she did end up giving me a spot. And again, I took it very happily. So I'm super glad I made that decision. But yeah, at that point in time, I was committed to uh, U of A. So, yeah.
0: Now, the NCAA, it is definitely a high level. And I think some schools are run almost like professional teams. So you kind of touched on it there. I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit deeper dive you were considering staying close to home was going to be important to you. Um, Was there ever any realization that you could still improve as a player being a U sports player? Like, did you think that you would be the best volleyball player if you did go to the NCAA or like what were some other things that maybe changed your mind or you came to a realization? Because I think the, the NCAA is appealing for a lot of reasons, but U sports can definitely serve and, and help a lot of athletes who want to play at the highest level too.
1: I think U sport is definitely better for my development. Personally, I felt that in the NCAA, Going there, you're kind of like a small fish in a big pond. Definitely, there's so many amazing players, and it's definitely harder to be recognized. So I think picking U Sports, it's definitely more. It's it's smaller, but I think you have the opportunity to get recognized more. And for me, um, I think I I always knew I would maybe play a bit earlier here than I would in the NCAA. I think that was definitely a good decision for me to make. And I think it has helped my development a lot already. But I think if I did end up going to the States, I think it still would have been amazing. Um, I have a few teammates that I played with um, in the youth national team who've gone down there and they've had an amazing experience. So I think either way, it would have been great. But UVA definitely feels like my home. So.
0: Nice. And and, and hopefully, uh, Lori doesn't mind me asking this, but when you were in that meeting with her, was something like playing time, did that come up in the meeting? Or did you ask about that? Or you were, you were willing to go in and try to earn your spot and battle for it? Or, or was that something that you asked questions about?
1: Honestly, I was kind of just going in there and willing to battle for it. She, I think Lori is the type of person that she'll put on her players that will lead her to a championship. So, um, I kind of knew I, I feel that I'm a very hard worker. So I knew if there was anyone, um, who could earn a spot, it would be me. So I think, uh, I definitely wanted to go in there and earn it. So she didn't guarantee me any playing time or anything. So, um, she kind of just let me know that she'll put on the best people who, uh, will help her to win. So,
0: and With you going through the NEP uh, NEP program, excuse me, did you know it was a U19 year and that was going to be something you might be identified for? Like, was that ever discussed with the coaches or the program?
1: Well, uh, before NEP, uh, we had a competition in the summer um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and that was originally our qualifier for Worlds. We didn't end up qualifying in that tournament. Um, It was still a great experience, but then when we got to NEP, I thought that was done. There would be no more... uh, tournaments or anything. Um, But I guess, I think it was at the end of NEP, Carolyn O'Dwyer, my head coach, she announced that there would be uh, another Pan Am competition and that there would be another berth for uh, the world championships in Europe. So I was really anxious about being selected for that. Um, There was a tryout uh, and then I found out I got selected pretty fairly close to the competition. So I think NEP really helped me prepare for that competition as well. And it helped me build a better relationship with my teammates as well. So a lot of my teammates from NEP uh, ended up going to that competition in Puerto Rico. So,
0: yeah. Anything stand out in your mind, whether it's, it's the first time you get the email, that you've been named to the roster or the first time you get the jersey, like anything stand out? I know you're very young in your career, but uh, any cool moments about being a national team player?
1: Well, I think the first time I got my jerseys, it really hit me like, wow, like this is, this is real. Like I'm going to be competing on an international stage and I know I'm still, still really young in the pathway, but still, it's just so amazing to compete at a high level. Um, and hearing your name announced for like the starting lineup, like it's, it's crazy. So I think, uh, yeah, definitely getting my jerseys was probably like the most special thing, just seeing my last name. Um. But no, it it was very cool. So yeah, that was probably my most standout moment for sure. So yeah.
0: And that Toledo event was definitely cool. But was there anything that stood out in your mind about going to like the Pan Am or playing any other international events like Worlds? Like, do, do they just get better the more you go to these competitions? Or, or what kind of stands out when you have to maybe travel a little bit or, or you have to share a dining hall with all the other teams in the tournament? Like, what are some things that stand out when you go to a major games like that?
1: Definitely Puerto Rico is my most interesting experience for sure. Um, The competitions have definitely gotten better as I've progressed. Um, Worlds was a really cool experience, but Puerto Rico was definitely the most unique. So it was 12 of us, and I can't remember which city it was in, but we were all crammed into this one room, all 12 of us, and we had bunk beds and stuff, and then all the teams there had to share one bathroom, (laughs) and we all had to share a dining hall. But it honestly allowed us to, like, like, grow closer with, like, some of the other teams. Like, it was cool just to get the experience to, like, Kind of um, converse with some of them, and just see like their playing style and everything like that. So that was definitely unique. Um, I think we had beans, rice, and chicken every day for that tournament. Um, it definitely wasn't the best. I definitely got sick of it by the end. But that was it was so fun. Like being in that small room definitely like allowed um, my team and I to grow so close. So. When we were in the world championships in Hungary, Um, it was definitely a lot more prestigious, I guess. We stayed in a really nice hotel. Um, It was almost like a resort style thing. They had a bunch of food. Again, like it was cool to kind of get to know the other teams as well. Um, But yeah, those things were like just a really cool experience. So um, yeah, that was really cool
0: now anyone who's seen you play obviously pretty intense player not afraid to celebrate and get fired up so when you say you're around the other team is that something that's pretty easy for you to switch off that you're not you don't feel the need to compete or be enemies the whole time that it's okay to like talk to somebody when you're in line for the dining hall or anything like that like it's it's okay to be friendly even though you want to kind of beat them when the game's on
1: oh yeah definitely I mean, I think that showcases me being like a true Canadian, I guess. But um, yeah, I think I can definitely turn that off. But it's almost like a switch for me. Like once I'm in the game, um, we're kind of no longer friends. So uh, yeah, but uh, if it's in kind of like a casual uh, situation, then yeah, I'm totally fine turning that off. But I've made some pretty cool relationships with people. So um, yeah, that's been a great experience for me. So yeah.
0: And we mentioned just the the training load and the intensity and time management from NEP and then your experience with the national team. So when it was time for your first training camp with the Pandas, did you feel ready for that level or was there still a little bit of a jump to what uh, youth sports could be? Because you're now playing with athletes who could be like four or five years older than you, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I think being at NEP and just playing with the speed in some of the international tournaments, it definitely got me very prepared for what youth sports would be like. Um, it kind of allowed me to have like a more easier transition. It wasn't more like a shock just going from club to U sport straight away. But yeah, just having that experience internationally definitely helped me because playing some teams like just for example, Thailand, like the speed they played at was absolutely insane. So just getting experience with that stuff definitely really helped me, especially as a middle blocker. But yeah, that definitely allowed me to have an easier transition for sure. And of course, just knowing some of my teammates already going in, that definitely helped so it wasn't as fresh. So,
0: yeah. And what tips can you give us uh, for being a middle blocker when the game is going that fast? And I know uh, somebody would read the roster and say, well, you're listed as 6-3, so you can close gaps uh, pretty well. But w- when the game is going really fast like that, are you picking like a primary hitter that you know you can't be late on? Do you like to commit block? Like what are some situational things you like to do that you're going to have to give up one-on-ones, but hopefully you don't have to give them up too often?
1: Yeah. Definitely reading has become like a very important part of my playing style. I kind of go with the saying like, it's better to be late than not there at all. And that like, you can't really misread an open book. So with that, I think Chin Windsor introduced that quote to me um, at NEP. But it's all just about uh, seeing the push of the ball from the setter's hands. That's helped me a lot. Um, and staying really balanced and neutral um, instead of guessing. Um, but yeah, definitely. I like to stay more balanced and kind of guessing towards a primary hitter. And if I'm late, I can trust my defenders to be there. Um, obviously I try not to be, but, um, that's definitely been a a really big help. Just staying extremely neutral, um, when I'm blocking, that's been a, a, that's been a really important part of becoming a better middle blocker and just kind of, um, definitely film as well. Watching a lot of film has helped me a lot. Just seeing the hitter's best angles. Like if they're more of a cross hitter, if they hit towards six, um, definitely doing my studying on film has uh, helped me a lot. So, um, yeah, those are kind of the main things, just film and staying neutral and obviously just practice, practice, practice. Uh, sometimes at the beginning of practice, I go for early reps. Uh, so I'll get a setter and they'll someone will pass every ball to the setter and then they'll set either way. And I kind of just practice just reading. So I'm not guessing and making a step towards the wrong direction. So that's helped me a lot. So, yeah.
0: And with video, I completely agree. I think picking up hitters tendencies and what they want to do is key with the setter. Is there stuff on video you can pick up or honestly, it has to happen so quickly in a game that you need a few reps of them doing it live before it really clicks.
1: I definitely need a few reps of them doing it live just to see it in person um but yeah definitely seeing the setter's tendencies like if they like tilt their head back a lot when they're back setting or if they stance at the middle something like that are all cues that I tend to pick up on but yeah it definitely needs to I need to see it in person um first a couple times until I really start to get it but yeah throughout the match it definitely progresses to be better so uh yeah definitely just picking up some of the setter's cues as well really helps me a lot so
0: and just by doing the show, I think setters like the the cat and mouse game and they like to look through the net or they maybe like to give misinformation. Like maybe they'll arch their back, but then fire it out to four instead of back setting. Is there anything a middle can do to counter some of these tricks they're trying to play on you? Or is it just honestly what you just said, just, just staying neutral and being able to read and maybe not fall for like the little games they're trying to play?
1: Definitely staying neutral for sure. Um, especially internationally, I've played against some amazing setters. And they all tend to do those kind of things. So um definitely just staying, staying neutral until I see the push of the ball. Um, and if that means me being maybe a second more late, I can just try and get a soft block or something or a touch. But yeah, I'm definitely not trying to guess or make the wrong decision. I mean, it happens sometimes, but definitely staying neutral. Time and time again, I'll say that. Um, that's definitely really helped me a lot. Um, in the odd chance, in the odd situations, I'll definitely take a little step. Um, If there's a very strong middle on the other side, trying to run the 30. But other than that, um, I definitely like to stay more neutral, so
0: and obviously middle blocker like the that is the whole position and kind of leading your defense there but anyone who's seen you play or check the box scores you're getting a pretty good volume on offense and i think that maybe deters athletes from wanting to play medals you just don't get set a lot but when you're getting maybe 15 attempts a match is that a credit to how hard you're working and attacking the gaps is that communication with the setter is that coach saying hey it's a high efficient position we need to set them a lot like what goes into you getting the volume you do that you're not getting you know four sets a match and kind of just being bored and running angles
1: I think it has to do with a variety of things. Um, my coach, Carolyn O'Dwyer, I remember she instilled in me at, she was my head coach at NAP. So, um, so work your butt off in transition. That's how I think I get uh, a lot of my sets is just transitioning, um, and working really hard to, uh, be open. But again, I think that also goes for my connection with Justine, my setter. Uh, she's been so amazing. Um, again, we have a very good connection and she can kind of just sling the ball from like behind the attack line. Like that's happened a few times. So as long as I stay open and I'm loud um, and I'm transitioning, I think that definitely helps me get a lot more volume. So yeah, definitely the connection and working hard definitely helps me get... Um, more sets for sure.
0: So, yeah. Any tips for what you do in transition? Because I think you, you make it look so easy, but are you attacking to the gap in between the blockers? Are you attacking to a spot on the floor? Is it a distance from your setter? Like, what are some things middles can do? Because uh, I think middles in transition is so deadly and so high efficient, but it is difficult to run. So, where are you and what's your timing just so the setter can trust that you're going to be available?
1: Well, even if I don't have enough time to get all the way back to the attack line, Um, even if it's just like a two-step approach, I'm just trying to stay as open as I can and being as loud as I can. um, and kind of just get the ball to the floor fast. Like a lot of the time, if I'm in transition, I don't have time to get like a full swing and a full approach in. So one of the things I like to do is just kind of do like a a push tip just fast into the middle of the court. I think those are super effective and have been super effective for me and helping me increase my efficiency for sure. Um, just straight into the pot. If I don't have enough time to get straight back, I think that's a really good play to make. Um, Cause I think a lot of the time defenders on the other side, um, seeing a middle uh, run a 51 or something, they're kind of on like the weight on their heels. So they're kind of just standing back and like le- waiting to like for the ball to like rip at them. So I think they like don't always expect like a soft little tip in the middle or like a power tip. So um, a lot of the time their weight isn't really shifted forward, I've noticed. So I think just getting it fast to the floor has been extremely effective for me. So I think that's definitely a tip that I would say for middle to incorporate into their toolbox for sure. So, yeah.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, that is a great tip. And another thing I wanted to ask you about offensively is uh, you have the ability to hit three or four different types of sets, whether it's your 30 or 50, the push, uh, or even hitting off of one foot. So as a middle, was this something that like your club team and school teams like layered in? Have you always been hitting a variety of sets? Like how did you kind of master the, the approach and even the arm swing for all these different variations?
1: Well, actually it was more when I went to NEP that, uh, these kind of sets were more integrated in club. I, my main run was definitely the 50, um, and my favorite run. I think just as you get older, um, the setting becomes better as well. And like for both of my setters, I think that was their most consistent set in club as well. Of course we'd always run like steps, um, uh, thirties and stuff, but Definitely the 50 was my main run, but again, it wasn't until NEP that we started integrating it more. It it was really frustrating at first just to kind of gain the connection with the setter. I think that's the most important thing is just working extremely hard to gain that connection. But I remember being extremely frustrated just trying to um, learn the differences between these runs and like adjusting my arm swing, how open I am, the angle at which I'm approaching at. Um, But yeah, it was definitely in my u18 year where i started incorporating these runs way way more um and then i kind of i i really tried to stay away from the step i felt like it felt awkward for me but i really challenged myself to incorporate it a lot in my u18 year and i think that became more of my main run um and it's so effective i mean the setter can set it easily if they're not in a great place and it's not a great set like i know justine has kind of set me from behind the attack line like it's it's a great run so Um, It allows me to stay more available and just kind of get more volume as well. So, yeah.
0: In your opinion, what makes the step or the slide so effective? Like, is it because of the ball sailing and the hitter sailing that it's so hard to block? Like, do you feel like you have the ability to cut it off early or let it sail late? Like, how much control do you have as a hitter, do you think?
1: I think it's, I, I feel like I have a lot more time for control and like I can see the court way more as I, uh, again, like the blockers usually really late and they're kind of drifting. So it's really easy to go off hands, especially if the pin isn't the strongest blocker, um, or if they're kind of shorter, I think going off hands is a really great option, but, um, yeah, I mean, you have so many angles, like you can hit line, you can hit sharp cross, cross, um, or even like, I like just sometimes like throw it into the middle, into the pot really helps. So, um, sometimes like it's unexpected for the defenders and they're not expecting a, a tip off the step for me. Um, but yeah, I just, I really like to mix it up which angle I'm going at. Definitely my favorite is uh cross court. I think that's my strongest, but I'm working on uh, my line shots as well. But I think the step is an amazing run because you have so many options for so many angles and you have that space from the net. So you can kind of just like weigh along the ball. So Yeah.
0: Nice, nice. And another part of your game that kind of stands out once you start digging into the box scores is just your ability from the service line where you're getting quite a amount of uh, aces without a lot of errors. Is that something you've always had in your game? Is that maybe credit to NEP? Like, what can you kind of tell us just about your mindset when you're at the end line?
1: I think it was in club that I started realizing I, I would get kind of frustrated if I wasn't getting set a lot. But I kind of realized like, if I'm not getting set, what else can I do to contribute to the game? And I kind of realized that serving would be a really good option to do that and allow me to score more points. So um, I definitely have been working on my serve a lot more and it's allowed me to like contribute more to the game as well. Um, but yeah, it, it was, I remember seeing a TikTok from Sarah Pavin, uh, who plays for Team Canada Beach. Uh, she was giving tips for middle blockers. And she said, if you're not getting set, then focus on something else, like blocking or serving, like, if you have a strong serve as a the middle, then you're contributing that much more. And I've kind of just um, ingrained that in my brain. So yeah, it's definitely still a work in progress. I can always get better, but I think that's uh, really helps me to score more points for sure. So yeah.
0: And when you think about it, when you get back to the end line, where does your mind like to go? Are you thinking tactically that I want to move this receiver up and to the right? Are you thinking uh, I want to hit this half of the court as hard as I can? Like, What are some things that go through your mind just so you're in a routine and in like an aggressive mindset?
1: Usually what I try to think about is my technique. Just some keywords that I think about is just saying solid serve to myself, like just get it solid serve or staying tall and elbow high. Um, Cause I used to have a tendency to just drop my elbow and that didn't allow for like a stronger serve. So just saying those kind of mental cues really helped me focus and dial into my serve. Um, I mean, sometimes I do find myself thinking about, defense or like the next play but I really try to just stay in the moment stay calm um and just focus on which target I'm hitting but yeah those are kind of just some really helpful mental cues I like to say to myself before I serve so
0: yeah I'm glad you mentioned defense there because obviously you don't get to play three rotations around the back but it's not unusual for you to have like five digs a match and i'm wondering again is that going back to the sarah Pavin quote where you just have a mindset that you want to contribute and help teams where yeah you've got 21 digs on the year uh five would probably be your high but you get a dig every match it looks like i'm just wondering uh usually uh middles aren't credited with their defense or their intensity they bring to that is that something that you just when you put in a good serve you want to help your team get that dig too
1: For sure. I mean, I'm definitely not the best uh, defensive player, but I try my best for sure. Um, But again, yeah, going back to her saying, um, I definitely try my best for sure. Um, I'm trying to grab every ball I can get and just help my team out and be there for them. But um, yeah, I think defense is fun, even though I feel like I'm not the strongest at it. uh, I try my best and just try to get uh, behind the ball. So um, yeah, tip coverage is definitely a big thing for me you know, they always want to dump to the middle or tip to the middle. Um, I'm definitely a big target. So that's definitely something I'm trying to work on, but just being really ready as soon as I serve, um, just knowing I'm a target for the hitters. Uh, But yeah, I think just like getting into that mindset and thinking about the next play also helps me just be ready for defense and to be stopped as well. So, yeah.
0: And overall with your playing style, is this something you've put a lot of thought into? Is it just genuinely how you feel where if you watch clips of you, you're celebrating, you're, you're shouting, you're, you're celebrating teammates. Like sometimes coaches don't like this because they don't think it's sustainable or you think if you get too high, like you're not going to stay focused where it seems like you're enjoying it, but you're also bringing intensity. Is this something like you're aware of or this is just natural reactions for you in a match?
1: I think it's both. I think it's just a natural reaction, but I'm also very aware of it. I think my team thrives on that kind of stuff. But again, I know I I agree it's not always sustainable, but for me, I always try to bring as much energy as I can. Um even if it's not like yelling and screaming and making those big celebrations, I'm always just trying to be there for my team and be a good source of energy, positive source of energy. I think that's my main thing, just bringing more positivity and encouragement and intensity. But I think it really helps personally my team overall. But I mean, every team is different. Um, But yeah, some of my other teammates definitely like to do that too. So we all love to bring the energy and positivity, but definitely bringing that intensity um, has been a thing of mine. So yeah, I think I would like to label myself as an intense player for sure. So yeah, I'm very competitive.
0: And do you do you have a reset? So let's say you, you get a big kill. Are, are you going back to the net and kind of calling out hitters and figuring where the setter is? Like, is that your reset to get regained so you're not still maybe riding that high of a point scoring opportunity? Like, what are some things that maybe we don't see? Because we see the big kill and the celebration, but what are some things you do to get reset so you can win again instead of just thinking, man, that was a really awesome slide I just ran?
1: Definitely just focusing on the next play and what's coming at me. Looking at the setter's front row, back row, um, who is my main hitter, um, what set the middles running. Um, uh, like I usually like to say like split hitters, like D shoot 30, setters front, dump in or something like that, just to get my mind ready and primed for the next play and just know what's coming at me. And I feel like that is a responsibility as a middle blocker to let your pins know what's coming at them as well and for, help them to be ready for the next play. So that's kind of just how I personally reset and just – calm down after a big play. So
0: yeah. And one thing that's unique about your position is you're you're so hardworking and you go through your three rotations. When you check out, are you kind of relaxing your mind? Do you want to talk to a coach and kind of free in about those last three rotations? Do you want to talk to nobody? Are you pumping up the box squad? Like what do you do for the three rotations when the other middle's in?
1: I'm on the bench talking to one of my assistant coaches. His name's Mia. Um, he helps me a lot with my blocking. So we kind of just review what's going on. Um, he tells me kind of like what I could do better the next time I'm in. Um, it's mostly about my blocking. Um, just seeing kind of like what's coming next. Um, who, who's getting the most volume on the other side. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just thinking about what I'm going to do when I go back in and just watching some of, uh, the players tendencies, if they have any, anything new they're adding that I didn't see in film. Um. And also just watching my other middle, um, just so I can, we like to give each other feedback as well. Like in timeouts, um, we always get into like our little positional groups and, um, we kind of just give feedback to each other, which really, really helps me just to gain an outsider's perspective for sure. But yeah, I definitely like to talk to my assistant coach just to know what I can do better just to when I'm going back in my next three rotations. So
0: So one thing that I I think is a challenge about your position is you can run, let's just pick a number. You can run four thirties in a row and not get set because maybe the setter is trying to isolate the right side or set an overload over you. So how do you still stay engaged uh, or support your teammates in those moments knowing that if you pulled the other team middle, that's as good, even though you're not the one actually like hitting the ball. Does that make sense? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I know for sure. Um, Even though I'm not getting set, I know I'm playing a big part in kind of isolating a blocker. Um, in helping my pins get a one-on-one. Um, definitely in the younger years, I definitely got a, a lot more frustrated um, just because I wasn't getting set. But I realized as a middle, that's a really important part um, of my position just to create those one-on-ones and like helping contribute to my pins getting kills and stuff. So definitely just putting it in that perspective has really helped me realize and just stay engaged and to know that I... Even though I'm not getting set, I'm still contributing to the team, so...
0: Yeah. And do you get a similar feeling as a blocker where stuff blocks are great, but let's be honest, you're not gonna get ten a match. Like that would be really rare that the other team's still wailing away at balls when you're closing gaps as well as you are. But when the other team is able to get digs or maybe the other team starts tipping a lot, like when your team is having success on defense, how can we point out that middles know that they're they're almost responsible for that? Not that you're taking credit for digs, but you're like creating like a ripple effect or a situation that helped them get that opportunity, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Um, again that's an amazing part about being um, a middle and a great part about the position um, because you can create such a strong effect on the other team and just knowing that you're taking away their best angles and even though you're not getting all the stuff blocks just um, making it really hard for them to get a lot of kills definitely makes you feel good and to know that you are contributing to the team in that way and like Even again, if you're not getting huge solo blocks or assist blocks or self blocks, um, you're definitely still making a difference for sure by taking away um, some of their best shots and angles for sure.
0: And looking at your career, again, you're still quite young, but you've got to play for Lori and Carolyn, and you got to work with Shannon a little bit with VC. And uh, I think Christine Biggs was maybe your new U19 coach. So you've got to work with so many special coaches who have not only treated you like a special athlete, but they didn't treat you like a finished product. And they're always challenging you and teaching you. So, what are some tips you can give for maybe like some of the awesome coaches you've had that you would encourage other coaches to kind of pursue? Where here we have this 6'3 athlete who's already, already really good, but they're still challenging. Challenging you or asking you to leave your comfort zone and do certain things instead of just saying, Oh, that's Ronnie, she's gonna hit fifties and she's gonna block.
1: I think just keep challenging your players. That's one thing I love so much about Carolyn is that she's still always on me. She never treats me like a finished product and she's always challenging me to do better. But yeah, that's the one thing. Just keep pushing your athletes because there's always room for improvement no matter what. And I think she that's allowed me to become such a better player. And sometimes I mean it as a player it is kind of like you're thinking like why is she always like nagging me why is she always on me but in the end I always know that it's making me so much of a better player and it's allowing me to work harder and improve each practice so I think that's the biggest tip is to just push your athletes as much as possible so yeah
0: and when you think of your improvement are you big into journaling are you big on coaches being consistent that like Hey, I know this is a new, new set we're learning with the step around errors are okay. And you feel like you can make like silly mistakes or, or what are some things that have helped you kind of accelerate your learning, even though, like, like I said, it seems like you've been playing at such a high level for such a long time, but how how do you feel the freedom to still try new things or take risk?
1: During NEP, I kind of realized this, that it's not always about the result. It's about the process and in the process, things can be really messy I remember when I was learning how to run a step, like I, it would just frustrate me so much. But again, I would just focus on the process and say, hey, every day I'm getting better. And eventually this is gonna connect. This is gonna um, be better. But again, just focusing on the process and realizing that it is okay to make mistakes. Like you're, you keep learning, that's how you get better. You can't get better if you don't make mistakes. So I think just realizing that the process is not perfect in that you have to make the mistakes to get better. So I think that's really helped me, um, to not always focus on the end result and to that's really helped me just kind of not stay in a stagnant place of frustration and has allowed me to grow as an athlete for sure. So.
0: And, yeah. and what do you do when that gets challenged? Cause I think that's fascinating and I, and I a hundred percent agree with the theory of the process and the growth mindset, but you're so competitive that you don't want to be bad and you don't want to make mistakes. So when it does, boil over or you do have a really tough practice or maybe even a bad practice, uh, how are you kind of like gentle with yourself or reset that knowing that you can still get better, even though like you want to get it now, right?
1: Well, I kind of realize that I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Um you I feel like for me, you always kind of have to get worse to get better. You have to just grind, keep grinding. And every new practice is a chance to reset and try new things. And it's almost like a fresh start. So if I had a really bad practice, I just think to myself, tomorrow's a new day. Um, It will get better. Again, just focus on the process. It will come um, if I continue to work hard, talk with my coaches. And um, a big thing for me is just watching film for my practice as well. Like uh, my coach posts, if we play any gameplay, uh, she posts that film um, on our site that we can watch it on um and just watching myself and just kind of um seeing from an outsider's perspective what I could do better really helps me as well so again just realizing no one's perfect and the next day's a chance to start um a new day for sure so
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all that you did. Uh, one, one tradition we tried to build in the show is even though you're playing at the highest level, uh, volleyball is unique in a way that something odd or silly must have happened along the way. So I was hoping you could just share one more story before we call it.
1: Oh, for sure. Uh, I think this is, uh, I think our semifinals um, during provincials, I remember this one tournament during provincials, I would when I was blocking, I'd always constantly get hit in the head. Like I did not know what was going on, but um, when I was blocking, they'd always hit the top of my head, and I was really frustrated because I had no idea why this was happening. Um, and it really started to hurt. Like I didn't know really know what to do. And I remember we were playing dinos, and um, sometimes my face gets above the top of the net. I just get absolutely packed in the face this is a semi-final match of provincials and there's blood gushing everywhere. I get hit in the street in the nose. And of course it was really embarrassing, but um, that was definitely kind of funny because this one tournament, I kept getting hit in the head for some reason. I don't know. My head was like a magnet to the ball. Um, But I remember I had to kind of rush off the court, grab some Kleenex and I was back out there in five minutes, but yeah, it was definitely a bit embarrassing because there were a lot of people watching that game, but um, I mean, now I know to kind of just like tuck my head, tuck my chin, so that never happens again. But yeah, it was definitely a bit embarrassing, but I like to share that with people. It was kind of funny, so. Uh,
0: I, I'm glad you could laugh about it, but I, it is a kind of a unique problem where uh, you're athletic enough that you can get your head high above the net that you can get hit in those, where some of us just don't have that problem, I don't think.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a disadvantage sometimes, for sure. But, I mean, yeah, it is funny to look back on, for sure. So Uh,
0: Actually, as you bring up playing Dinos, that's one thing I'm always fascinated about with uh, kids who grew up in Alberta. Was that viewed upon a rivalry, like when you went to an Alberta volleyball tournament that you knew you were going to cross the Dinos? Like, was that something just as a youth athlete that you always kind of look forward to?
1: Oh, for sure. Um, It was always Dinos and Canuck. Canuck had a really, really great team um, when I played club. And I've played against them for so many years. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a very, very big rivalry. I remember we lost to connect uh in U17 Provincials. And I remember, like, I was so, so mad. And then in our U18 year, um, we beat them. And they came third and we came first. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a great accomplishment for sure. But nef- definitely it was a huge rivalry for sure. And I always always look forward to playing them so yeah
0: and what are those experiences like when there's such a rival and it's so heated but then you maybe are teammates with them on a junior national team or the provincial team or maybe at the university level like uh, are you able to make friends and you kind of just laugh about like oh I really didn't like playing against you
1: well for sure no definitely I did not like playing against them but I've made some really really close friends um with some opposing teammates so it's just it's really great how you can kind of grow a friendship out of that after being rival rivals for so long. So yeah, no, that's been great. I'm, I'm still really close to a lot of them. So yeah.
0: Well, Ronnie, this has been awesome to hear about, uh, all the behind the scenes that went into your career and you're still having a big year and best of luck with the second semester and everything else you got going on. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for taking the time and sharing all that you did.
1: No problem. Thanks so much for having me.